of the church, we're a little bit down tonight. It's summer and people are out and having a good time enjoying the weather on vacation. Uh, I see your Instagrams and your Facebooks and I want to be happy for you, but you know, <laughs> sometimes it's tough when you go out and it's raining and anyway. Um, but I believe that this is a core issue for the church that we have got to grab hold of, we've got, to, we've got to grab hold of pride and get it cast out. And uh, the only way to cast out pride is through humility. And uh, man, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. Um, but we, our core scripture has been uh, Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So really the ball's in our court. Do you see that? God's not making us do anything, but he's giving us the instruction of how to be lifted up the proper way. You can lift yourself up. It says here that you can, but it won't last. But if you will humble yourself according to God's word, he will lift you up that nothing can put you back down. But we've seen this same law repeated more than two times in the New Testament. And each time coming from the lips of Jesus himself. And he gave a particular importance to this principle and continued to remind the people following him about how to make this work in their lives. And over the last few weeks, we've seen this principle applied uh, in our personal relationship to God. And it's a self-humbling um, exercise that is an essential requirement to even to come to God. For someone to give their heart to the Lord, it is a humili not a humiliating, but a humbling position to even recognize that I need help. That's such a hard thing for people to grasp. Um, starting even as a child, we want to say, no, I got this. I can do it. And it's a hard thing to learn, and we learn it the rest of our lives. The Bible says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. In other words, it's something that we must do. We must humble ourselves. And it originates in our will. It takes willpower to humble yourself. It takes strong people. And it must be expressed in an appropriate action. So, tonight, let's take this one step further, showing how to apply this in our relationships to each other. You see, our attitude to, toward God comes out through our attitude toward each other. You want to know someone's true attitude with the Lord, look at their attitude and their relationship with others. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? Our attitude toward God is often revealed in our attitude toward each other. And it's so true about humility. And it must be expressed toward God, but it also is supposed to be expressed toward men. But we deceive ourselves in this thinking that we can handle ourselves right with God, but it doesn't matter how we handle ourselves with each other. We act one way with God and then act completely differently with people. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that if we really have the right attitude with God, it will be demonstrated and acted out in our, in our relationships to each other. But if a wrong attitude manifests toward man, then it is an indication that we've got something wrong with our relationship with God. Do you remember what the commandment, when, when, when the guy said, hey, Jesus, give me the, give me the two steps to the commandment. I don't, I don't want the ten, I want the two. Just, just give me the cliff notes to the, to the commandments. He said, okay, love God and love each other. So can you see that our connection is not just a connection to God, it's a connection to each other. And if one is off, then something's wrong with the whole thing. That, that wasn't very assuring, but I'll keep going. We've got to apply this principle in our direct relationship with God, but it must be applied with each other. Self-humbling is mandated in various places in the New Testament. We're going to look at three examples tonight. The first one's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. That hits, that hits the target, doesn't it? Remember, when we struggle with this, and it's normal to struggle with this, to enter into a room and to think, I've got to think of myself lower than everyone else in this room. The motivation to do that is in the scripture we just saw a minute ago, that if we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us. We don't even have to worry about, man, I've got to be the important person here. I've got to do great things. I've got a competitive spirit, and I want to beat everybody in the room. I don't have to. God will see to it that I am exalted in the way that I handle myself right here. My personality is, is there a game? Okay, I want to play and I want to win. And when we come into a room with people, there is a game to be played. I don't mean we're, we're, we're that may sound a little bit um, lax or loose, but when we come into a, when we get into a group of people, there is a part to play. And it's saying here, when you enter into that group of people, consider everyone else more, more important than yourself. Trusting that God will take care of you. God will see to it that if you take a lower position, he will make sure that you do not remain there. It's a promise. It's, a, it's, a, it's God's word. And I take everything that God says as a promise. It doesn't have to say I promise. If he says, if you will do this, I will do this, then I take that as if I do my part, he will do his part. I can trust him at his word. So when I read this and I'm like, yeah, God, but you don't know who I'm hanging around. You don't know these people. I'm definitely the most important person in the room, God. And they all know it. Uh, I don't know it. I said consider them the most important in the room. So now it becomes between me and God. Do you see what I'm saying here? When I want to get in the middle and meddle, then all of a sudden I'm saying, I don't trust you, God. I'll handle this one on my own. And you know what God will say? Okay. There's a law that's going to play a part. God will even say, I can't stop it. I'm not going to stop it. It's my word. I don't want to stop it. 
I don't want you to be hurt, but there's a law here. Gravity says you drop this, it's going to fall. When you go and do this, there's going to be a result. And it's not my fault. You did it. So, what I'm trying, well, I guess what I'm trying to say to you here is sometimes we need to know what that reward and what that um, punishment is. Because there is. There is a, for every, for every action, there's a reaction. Is that Newton? Who, who said that? Newton? Someone. Some great scientist. It's not Newton? You nodded like it was. Newton. Not new. Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, I've had somebody just recently tell me I didn't have a real strong country accent, but I didn't say new, I said Newton. Newton. Sir Isaac Newton. Okay. For every action, there's a reaction. There are consequences, as I was talking to Zach today about a, a, a new sermon topic, and whether you're in the church or not in the church, there's a consequence to what you do, whether it's sin or whether it's bad or whether it's good, and you can't stop those consequences. They're going to happen. So, there are consequences to us going against what God's word said. And I would encourage you, give God a chance to prove his word. Go into it. Don't go into it and try to prove, oh, I'm going to see if God really will humble me. Good luck with that. Why don't you go into it and see, I'm going to see if God will really exalt me. Good. God loves for you to take him at his word. That's not selfish. That's following his word and expecting him to do what he said. If my dad says, if I mow the lawn, it'll give me 20 bucks, I shouldn't mow the lawn and then say, I don't, it's okay, you don't have to. No, I want the 20 bucks. And I'm not being selfish. You said it, I did it. Thanks. You're welcome. He's more than happy to give me his treasures. Uh, I think Justin just said it. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He wants to exalt us. But a good father won't exalt us when we've done something stupid. You reward a child for throwing a fit in Walmart, and you know what will happen the next time you go to Walmart? They'll throw a fit. I promise. You handle a child right in Walmart when they throw a fit. The next time you go in there, they won't. It's a law. It's a law. You can drive rebellion out. Rebellion has to come under the authority of God. Did y'all hear that? Man, I'm so off the page. This is not even funny. We get back on. Oh, well, thanks. God is awesome. So, do nothing out of selfish conceit. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. So I want you to notice, as we apply this, humility is manifested in considering other people better than ourselves. If all you do is take that, you are going to be on a good track. 
it is going to help establish the room the second you get in there that I establish that you are important to me and really that you're more important to me than I am. Next scripture is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This implication is clear that if we really fear and reverent Christ, it will be manifested in our attitude toward each other. We will be subject to one another. If we claim to be subject to Christ, but we're not subject to one another, then our claim of subjection of Christ is not valid. Us being subject or um, that if Jesus really is Lord, then we will follow what his word says. If we don't follow what his word says, then is Jesus really Lord? How about that? Next scripture, First uh, Peter 5, verse, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know what that tells me is, is I have to make an effort. Clothe yourself. You have to get up in the morning and think about what you're putting on. You have to think about what's outside. You have to think about where you're going. If you're going to run, you're not going to wear leg warmers and uh, a big heavy coat. Elizabeth had on leg warmers today because I came home and she had on these leg warmers. I'm like, man, it, it, it's July the 1st. But if you're going to go to Mount Everest, you're not going to go in running shorts and chacos. So the same way, when I walk into a room, I should clothe myself, take a look at the environment, make sure that I'm thinking about what I'm walking into. And clothe myself with what? Humility. Why? Number one, so that I don't have to be humbled. I don't want to be humbled. I don't like to be humbled. It's humiliating. It's humbling. I want to be exalted. So if I want to be exalted, I can humble myself. It's my choice. It is such a cool thing. And I think that, I think that the world's got it all wrong. And I really think the church has kind of got it wrong a little bit in that they, people think that they're going to come into the church and be judged. Probably because they have been judged. But can you imagine the world coming in here and us viewing them as more important than ourselves? I'm not here to judge. We're here to love you. Love our neighbor. Love one another. Not if they live the right lifestyle or if they believe the same thing or they're the same denomination, then love them. No, love them. If they could come into the church and see a people that find them more interesting than themselves. I'm interested in you. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our stuff right before he accepted us and received us and literally paid every price for us. He paid ahead. He made the payment early, knowing what he was getting. He already knew. So if we could somehow see even our lost friends as valuable, 
they will see Christ in you. Because Christ saw value in them before they ever started following him. Can we as the church maybe grasp this for just a minute? That it's not just fellow fellow believers that we humble ourselves before. It's everyone. And that the world would receive Christ if the church wouldn't reject them. And it's so easy to reject each other in the church. But if we would take this, if we would take this step of humility, I believe it would turn the world upside down. This same scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, in the J.B. Phillips translation says, and just as you see it here, it says, indeed, all of you should defer to one another and wear the overall, the overalls. Have you ever heard that expression? Is that a country term? Overalls. Indeed, all of you should defer to one another and wear the overall of humility as a servant. It is literally dressing yourself as a servant. In the Greek, this word translated clothe yourself means to put on a certain type of apron that was worn by a slave. Bless you. Let me try to quickly go through this. Let's look at, let's look at one example tonight. And this is from Abraham. Uh, I've got another example for next time. It'll be Jacob. But this is a relationship between Abraham and Lot in Genesis chapter 13. Let's just dive into it. It says now, oh, attitude of a slave toward others. That was the third point. Genesis 13. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Sounds like a real problem. Next scripture. And quarreling... Quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of, of Lot. The Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Very significant here that he uses the term, we are brothers. Because they were living in the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites, who were both potential enemies of them, of Abraham and Lot. So what Abraham is saying is, brother, we cannot afford to be at each other because the enemy will always be looking for a weak spot to get in between us. And I want you to know there are always enemies looking for weak spots in families. Close-knit families. Everyone's family is broken. But what Abraham is saying here, Abram at the time is saying here is we must stop the quarreling and get our lines tied again. Get our fences up. Get our family back together. There comes a time when families need to get together and say, this is where we're going. The quarreling needs to stop. What's the problem? Because the enemy wants to divide. So let's keep going. Verse 9. Is it not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Verse 10. 
Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor. Plain of Jordan towards Zor well, uh, was well watered, was well watered, and the garden of the Lord, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse eleven. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men had parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived in the cities in the plain of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Verse thirteen. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were greatly and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had had parted from him, "Look around where you are to the north and south and east and west." All of the land that you see, I will give to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that anyone could count the dust. So that so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be could be counted. Go walk the length and breadth of the land I am giving it to you. Now, do you catch that? Even though Lot, even though Abram split the land, God said, "Go ahead and look around. I'm going to give it all to you." What I want you to catch here is Abraham's unbelievable humility and the implications of that humility. Abraham was the senior man. Now, I want you to know that God told Abraham to leave and just take his, fam- just take his family with him. Lot wasn't even supposed to go. Just him. But, but he took Lot. He took Lot with him. And by taking Lot, he had to divide his blessing. Now, I don't think he knew that, but he had to divide it. And in his humility, he had the right to say, Lot, I choose this, you can have that. But he didn't. He said, I want you to look around and you pick. And of course, Lot looked over here and this looked good, not knowing what was living there. This looks good, I'll take that. Abraham says, fine, I'll take this. Abraham had the right to the first choice, but he freely gave it. He said, whatever you choose, that will be yours. I'll take what's left. That is humility. As we continue, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes. We already went over this. From where uh, you look to the north and south, east and west, all the land I will give you and your offspring. Jump to verse 17. Go walk the length and breadth of the land. I'm giving it to you. What I want you to catch is God did not bless him until Abraham humbled himself before Lot and gave him the choice. I don't know if you can see the impact of that, but Abraham did not stand up to God and say, God, I'm the best one. I'll take the best thing. He didn't. He didn't know what was coming. He just said, this is the right thing to do. You choose. I think basically down deep, I want to think that Abraham was thinking, God's been with me this whole time. I'm going to give you the choice because I can't go wrong. I can make a lot of mistakes, but as long as I stay with God, I'm okay. I may even pick, I may even pick the wrong one, but it's okay. God will somehow redeem that. I think just down deep, he knew God and was not grabbing for himself. So in giving, God says, you know what? I give it all to you. I believe that was his plan from the start. I believe that Abraham could have lost half of it by handling himself wrong. I think that he could have had it all had he not brought Lot with him. But he did, and he gave, and God gave. 
Can you see that giving and being humble will never steer you wrong? Never. It may feel like it. You may think, I've worked so hard and I deserve this. And I think sometimes God would say, okay, have that. But it's going to dry up. If you'll give it, I'll pour it on you. If you'll give it, if you'll give to me, I will bless you. If you will humble yourself before men, I will exalt you. If you exalt yourself before men, you are on your own and you're going down. You'll be humbled. So, and the great thing, church, it's your choice. It's yours to choose. You get to pick. Jesus never said, you have to follow me. He never chased people down and begged them, please, please follow me. Please, will you follow me? No, he said, choose. I've got this way, and this way is great. And if you'll stick around me, I will prove myself to you. But I'm not going to make you. I want you to choose me. I want you to choose humility. Because, number one, it's the right thing. Number two, I'll bless you for it. Isn't that good? Just ask the Lord right now just for a spirit of humility just to fall on us. To change our hearts. Change our minds. Change our spirit. Change our whole way of thinking. That I can walk into a room, Lord, and see others as more important than me. That they are the most important people. Just thank you, Lord, that you have us in mind. Pastor Justin.